November 9th, 2022. Let's continue in Morin Vuchim. We're in Helek Aleph Perek Bet. And if you recall, very briefly, we're on page 34 here in the Schwartz edition. But if you recall, what Harambam had described, and he really just needs to finish that picture, is the question that was posed to him and the fundamental answer which he gave in return. He described this question of how is it possible that God would create human beings with a deficient mind, the inability to actually uh, understand and see truth in uh, life, and only through sin, from eating from etzadat tovara, do they achieve dat, where they have a proper understanding of reality. I said it sounds ridiculous. It's like punishing a person uh, for doing something wrong and turning them into a star. That was his description of uh, the absurdity of such a claim. And so he uh, described to us, he made very clear that there are two separate matters that we're confusing. When we talk about tovara, we're talking about tovara, we're talking about subjective truths or subjective realities, rather. As, a re- as uh, in contrast to uh, when we talk about emet and sheker, Harambam explained, then we're talking about objective truths. And the difference between the two, uh, very briefly, not this one, grab one of each of those. This is if we get there in time. Um, and the difference between the two, Arambam said, is uh, when I talk about the world being round, I say that that's true. I don't say that's good. When I talk about someone being beautiful or nakedness being inappropriate, I don't say that that's true or false. I talk about good and bad in that context. And the difference between Adam and Hava prior to deciding to eat from their eats and afterwards is the difference between a world, a life, a mindset of emet and sheker and one of tov and ra, which means to say quite the opposite of the questioner's assumption uh, that we went from a deficient knowledge and understanding and approach to the world to one which is a higher level, proficient. It's quite the opposite. We went from a world wherein our mindset was programmed to a certain extent to see and to perceive emet and sheker, and we dove into a world of tov and ra, the world of human endeavors and human determinations. See here, Harambam really just needs to finish this conversation for us, uh, this, this uh, foundational statement and explanation, and we're just going to follow that up with a little bit more, some of which we touched on last week. See here on page 34 at the very top, he writes, as he continues his conversation, Kasher haya adam arishon hashalem hagamur says when Adam Harishon was in his most complete state, teva beriato he says, as a result of his higher level, a natural and healthy intellect, which was at that uh, pristine and elevated uh, um, platform, as, as the Pasuk says about him in Tehilim, human beings just had a little bit less. They were only haser me'atme Elohim, a little bit from, and here we're talking about actual divinity in terms of full uh, intellectual capabilities and perspectives. Lo hayalo, we didn't have as a result the ability to indulge and uh, endeavor into a world of uh, subjective truths. 
uh, we didn't look at and decide and determine what's good and bad. We instead lived a life of true and false. Now, that's not to say that this was a life which was lived by human beings for some long period of time. In fact, Harambam later on the more in Chilek uh, Bet and Perik Lamed, he accepts seemingly the statement of the Hachamim in Masechet Sanhedrin that it all takes place on, quote, day six of creation, both the creation of human beings and they're sinning. Of course, we'll have to figure out what that means, day six and all that sort of business. But he's not describing, per se, some sort of long duration time. He's describing instead a reality, a reality in which the decision of human beings as we live, as we determine to live in a world of humanity, is one in which we leave that emet and sheker domain and enter, venture into one of tovenra. Hulohi siga filu et habarur biyoter ben hamefusamot lignai he says, prior to eating, even the most base level, defiled state of being, the nakedness, the exposure of human, uh, of human bodies, wasn't seen as something that was lignai, wasn't something that was negative. Negative, again, is seen in this context as something that's subjective. It's conventional wisdom. It has to do with the way we determine. Prior to eating, says Harambam, the Torah tells us at the end of the Perek, Vayu Adam, there was no shame, there was no feeling of vulnerability as a result of that nakedness. That only comes in a world of Tovarah. He says, it was only when uh, we tilted in the direction of desires, um, uh, wrongful desires, uh, and for uh, the lust uh, of, uh, of sen- uh, sensual lust, it's only when we went after that, which was pleasing to us, that human beings lived as human beings, uh, so to speak, as a result, uh, as uh, in contrast to as, uh, robots or angels. He cites the pasuk, which very clearly makes, make, makes, uh, sets forth for us that the tree is to be understood as Tob lemaachal, it tastes good. This is what Havas is, and it's ta'avala inaim, and it's good looking. In other words, it's pleasing to the eyes. Those are by definition tov and ra distinctions. Those are statements that we say as human beings. Those are not objective truths. Objective truths don't have such a uh, facet. Ne'inash bekach shenishlelami menu. He says, as a result, it was nishlela. It's a hard word to, to define. Nishlal means it was negated. It's almost as if that intellectual perception was negated. The emet and sheker perception was lost. This was the leaving hasagat sikhlo hameole and entering into hasagat hamefursamot, again the subjective realities. He begins to be uh, in, uh, embedded in a world of megune and yafe, of good and bad. 
חלקו של מה שאבד לו ושממנו נתערטל ולאיזה מצב הגיע לכך נאמר ואיתם כאלוהים יודעי טוב ורע ולא נאמר יודעי שקר ואמת או משיגי שקר ואמת. After all the פסוק describes that what would they achieve they would achieve טוב ורע, they would not achieve שקר ואמת, they had that already, it doesn't say that they would be מסיג, they would grasp אמת and שקר, it rather says טוב ורע, very carefully and purposefully. Uh, the פסוק again goes out of its way to have the נחש speaking to חווה and saying that ביום אחלכם ממנו יודע האלוהים and that you will be ואיתם כאלוהים. And that's an important uh, distinction. Again, Harambam started the whole Perek by telling us that Elohim is an equivocal word. It's a word that can be describing the divinity, God himself. Angels are important, high-level people. He says, Unkulus, on this pasuk, tells us it's Rav Revet, the high-level individuals. It's a bit difficult because the pasuk does initially describe Elohim as actual God. And then the Nahash says, God knows v'item Elohim." So wouldn't that be referring? So there's several explanations. First and foremost, there's no he ha The first time is yodea ha-Elohim. And the second time, v'item Elohim, not ka-Elohim. It's not like the God, it's rather Elohim. So that's already, I'm just talking from the technical standpoint. Furthermore, it's, it's kind of natural in a sentence to say, God knows that when you eat from it, you'll be like him. That's not what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says, you'll be Kelohim. So Harambam and Unkulus, as a result, take the liberty of, of, of translating the word again in the Pasuk, Vitem Kelohim Yode'e Tovara, that the word Elohim over there is not the same Elohim that was mentioned at the beginning of the Pasuk. The beginning of the Pasuk, when the Nahash talks to Chava, talking about actual God. The second time in the same sentence that it says Elohim, it's referring instead. That's, I'm just pointing out the difficulty in this interpretation, but not so difficult. It's this time referring to others. Again, it's, it's it, conversationally, I imagine we do it all the time. We use words from time to time in the same sentence that have two separate meanings, assuming that the person who's listening to us based on context is well aware of what we're referring to. That's kind of what's taking place over here. That's just from a technical standpoint. He makes a very careful uh, distinction, he says over here, the Pasuk doesn't say they saw as a result of their eyes being open, it rather says they knew, says Harambam, you understand why that's so? Their eyesight was not changed. If you read the Pesukim in the most simple base level understanding, what you understand is they eat from the tree and their eyes are open and they see better. Well, that's not the point. He says it doesn't say Vayiru, it says Vayede'u. Lo haya lo ma'atesh al ha'ayin vehusar. There wasn't some sort of membrane over the eye which was now removed. Ela sheba lo matzav ha'her bo hashav lemegunet. Ashe lo hashav lemegunet kodem. They rather have a different perspective. The Torah describes how their eyes reveal to them a different reality. That's all that takes place. So this is based, everything's the same, except the, 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 subjectivity, the subjectivity changes versus the objectivity of the method shaker. That's it. In the world of the method shaker, so the, the vulnerability of being naked doesn't matter because I'm only for you and you're only for me and she's only for him and no one's looking at anybody else. 
That's the way you uh, uh, speak it. I speak it differently. Okay, so um, it's a question. That's a, so in a world of a myth and shekid, what is Hana'ada, right? Because we talk about ta'ava and these things, and we know very well that those ta'ava is a negative aspect of it, but pleasure in Hana'ada is the positive aspect. So the best the answer. Same thing could be both. So the, I, I understand. Uh, do you need two questions? First and foremost, do you need to be in Hana'a? Does there need to be? So Norman's question is: We have this concept of Hana'a, Hana'a, pleasure, desire of some sort. In a world of emet and sheke, where is there room for Hana'a? Is what he's asking. Um, the answer, first and foremost, could be there is no room for it. Uh, same way, maybe that's to the domain of Tovena, but I think not. Because the Gemara at the end of Masechet Ta'anit says that in the future we're going to be uh, sitting in this circle, well, not we, the righteous ones are going to be in this circle and they're going to be Nehenin Miziv HaShechina. So there's some sort of, we, we can apply the word Hana'a in an intellectual respect as well. The achievement of higher level knowledge is Hana'a in and of itself. Not always so easy for you. We, we associate that very different type of Hana'a, but maybe that's the Hana'a. The Hana'a is a closer level of understanding, a deeper perspective of godliness, of, of, of true knowledge. Um, maybe it's nothing more than that. That's yeah. not, go ahead. I'm saying that they still procreate. So that's the, so that's the, okay. Okay, so that brings us back to, and that brings us into this next point that I want to address. That brings us back into the conversation we had in the second half of the class last week, which again, I'm just turning, this was the, the direction I wanted to go in the class today, I wanted to just go back to the point we made. And I think that is real. So now I understand that's really what you're asking. The question then is, how is it possible, I repeat the question that we, we posed last week, I think it's what Norman's really addressing, how is it possible if they are in a world of, call it black and white, that they find color, or black and white? If you open up to a black and white you know, coloring book, you need to take the markers in order to put color onto the page. Well, procrea- procreation, or let's call it nakedness, or a lust and a desire or rather, let's be even more simple about this. Let's just look at the words in the Torah. The first act of procreation, and most of them afterwards, are described in the Torah as Yidi'ah, right? Adam is Yada'et Hava'ishto. Yidi'ah is only born forth from Etzah, Da'atovara, it would appear, right? So if you even just in the technical aspect, if you, if you can't accept it as a question, technically speaking, how'd they get to Yidi'ah? if they're in a world of emet and sheker. Now, uh, so that, that's really the question. You get caught in a bind over here. It's, it's, a, it's a classical question on Harambam over here, that if he's describing them as living in a world wherein, and here's the next word to it, there's little to no behirah of sheet. There's little to no regular human tendencies, capabilities even. So how'd they get into that, right? How was it that they were able to do so? Now, in terms of the actual procreation, it only is born afterwards. Unless you're reading the Torah as Rashi does, that that took place earlier, it's only in the simplest sense, the way Zohar, the way even Ezra read it is, that only is after banishment. It's only after they leave the Gan, which is very appropriate. Uh, you might ask, Alternatively, though, how was it that they were commanded to procreate if it's only going to be possible through Yidiyah? So it appears as if, which, which seems to be the reality, it appears as if there was some capability. There was some human capability. It wasn't as black and white as we perhaps 
uh, perceived it as. I, I will, as a result, now bring you to the source sheet that I, that I set forth for us tonight. And it begins with uh, a, a quote from earlier in this Pedic. Okay. In which case, then it could kind of fit. Okay. Uh, give, give, give me a second to it. I, I think we're going to end up saying similar, similar things. Uh, I just need to come to it my way, um, I guess. Um, Harambam earlier in this Pedic made a very bold statement. His earlier, and, uh, earlier in this Pedic, I put it on the sheet in source number one, he made the following claim. He said, listen, it's not the way you question or thought uh, through uh, your initial knee-jerk uh, understanding of this whole thing. You thought that we were born with full intellect and we loved. It wasn't so. We were born with Salem Elohim. We were created and crafted by God with higher level intellect. And if you remember, he had very important words over there. He said it was for that reason that human beings, and only human beings, had a command no other being or existence in this world has a command. It's only human beings which ha who have a sivui. Oh, that's very important. What does that mean? It means that higher level intellect or, or, or opens up the possibility to have a command. Let's pause for a second. How silly. If we're living in a world of absolute emet and shaker, if the world is just black and white, if we're to a certain extent programmed to listen and to know what to do. So where's there room for Sivui? Sivui should be quite the opposite. If anything, give it to the base level organisms in this world. We have a command. We couldn't do anything other than emit, it would seem. Again, we understand that's not so. We understand that ultimately speaking, we make a decision which would objectively, it seems, be described as not emit. It brings us into that world of tovim, right? It would seem. But how and for what reason is there a command? I'll intensify the question a little bit more. Harambam in his Mishneh Torah, in his Ilchot Teshubah, in source number two. In Perekev Ilchot Teshubah Halacha Aleph, Harambam talks perhaps most philosophically about the issue of Bechirah Hofshit, about freedom of choice. Freedom of choice, again, he describes as something that is unique to human beings. Human beings have freedom of choice. In fact, most Jewish thinkers, most thinkers in general, imagine angels as not having that. Uh, so it's human beings who have this uh, unique capability. Harambam has the following famous words at the beginning of Perekev, Hilchot Teshubam. Reshut kol adam netunado. Every person has this reshut. Uh, we each have, we, we have an open capability. Im rasa lehatot asmo lederech tovav liyot sadika reshut biyado. Im rasa lehatot asmo lederech ra'a. We can decide and determine independently whether to do right or to do wrong. It's about which it says in the Torah, Let's pause for a second on those words. Says Arambam, you want the proof? You want to point to the moment in time it appears at which we can find it's in Bereshit Peregima Pasukafpet. It's here in source number three. Who said to whom? Miyamar Elmi. Vayomer Adonai Elohim. God says to someone, to something, to himself maybe. But says God. Hen ha'adam ayake had mimenu ladatovara. Ve'ata penishlach yadovela kach gam me'etza ha'im ve'achal 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 le'olam. 
Uh, so we can already understand the context. The fear, in some respect, has to be defined as that we'll now eat from Eitz Hadat. Therefore, continues the Pasuk, banishment from Gan Eden. Wait a second. This Pasuk is stated specifically and only after eating from the Eitz Hadat. So we'll have to define what the Pasuk, how Harambam sees its words, but it means it's only after eating. So the Pasuk says, after eating, and Harambam points to this, after you ate from this tree, Oh my goodness, human beings have the ability to choose. That's how we're translating those words. Somehow, that's what we're seeing in those words. Only now? We only have the ability to choose at this point? How did we eat from the tree beforehand? I mean, we're just, I'm circling around the same point. It's the same exact point from a different angle. How is it possible that on the one hand we were created with perfect intellect, and that brought us to sin, or that gave us room for sivui, which means that you could do something other than absolute right. That's question number one. And question number two, which is the same question, just from a different angle, the other side of the same coin, and that is, well, when did we have freedom of choice? It must be from the beginning. I don't understand how, but it was from the beginning. So why is Arambam quoting a pasuk from after you ate from the tree, when there's some sort of new reality. It's not only when you discovered, when you came to Tov and Ra, that you have Bechira Hovshit. It had to be beforehand as well. You couldn't have eaten from it otherwise. In other words, you couldn't have had a command beforehand. There's just some confusing material over here. How does Harambam read that pasuk? By the way, important to know. Kilomar says Harambam, again, the words are hen ha'adamaya kehad mimenu. Kehad mimenu is generally speaking, the easiest translation is like one of us. Uh, sounds like he's referring to the angels or referring to himself in the royal we. That's not the reality. First and foremost, human beings now, this is quite a question on Harambam, if we read it like that, you ate from the tree, now he's kahad mimenu, you know who read the pasuk that way? The questioner. The questioner said, well, now you became really smart, you shouldn't have been so smart beforehand, you became smart after eating it. Harambam has to define that pasuk very differently. Do we understand the problem? If the pasuk describes, now man, since he ate from the tree, is like one of us, God about himself, God about the angels, what do, you, what do you mean, like one of us? If anything, he was closer to us beforehand. Saharam Bam is going to define these words differently. Lada tovara, that's the greatness of him. Saharam Bam says, here's what the words mean in the first place. They're not referring to uh, angels. They're not referring to God. It's kehad mimenu, he says, kilomar, hen min adam, haya ehad ba'olam, ve'en lo min sheni domelo In this world... This human being is very different than everything and everyone who surrounds him and her. Um, there's no dependency, there's no um, being determined by others. Human beings have Bechira Hovshit. So the Pasuk needs to be read like this. Hen ha'adam haya kehad mimenu. Pause. Lada'atovara. Or alternatively, hen ha'adam haya kehad mimenu lada'atovara. There's several ways of reading the Pasuk. Either way you read it, it goes like this. Human beings are unique. And the word mimenu might be defined as different than those who are surrounding him. 
Or and therefore, or and the way I show you that is he can do tovara. Or alternatively, he's unique, he's singular. As a result, he on his own can determine tovara. Rambam elsewhere says that he stole this interpretation, not stole, he borrowed this interpretation from Unkulus. You can find Unkulus in source number five. Amar Adonai Elohim Ha'adam Hava Be'alma Mineh. He's a singular being in the world that surrounds him. Therefore, or what is it that makes him singular? Again, it's not referring to angels, not referring to God. It's referring to the world of human beings. To know good and bad. Well, that's already very significant. Rashi is not actually, it's surprising, not so far off on this one. Rashi in source number four, not so far off from Harambam. I'm not talking about truth or false. So it's number four. Rashi writes, The only way in which God is comparing human beings to himself is saying he's unique down there the same way I'm unique up here. He's not saying he's like me. He's saying he's like me in the respect that we're both unique. When it amounts to our pur- for our purposes, what it amounts to is the same thing. The statement then is after eating. Again, after eating, the statement is there's something unique about this human being. Now, it should be noted already, this is the first moment we're really taking in Adam in the world that surrounds him. Beforehand, Adam is in the Gan. But this is the moment at which point we're already imagining him as a part of something larger. And the statement again is, So I repeat the questions very briefly. They're one and the same, but it's two of them. Number one, how does Adam have Imagine you're born with a, imagine you're a robot. Imagine you're born with a mind which is programmed to truth. How do you have the capability to deprogram yourself? Who gave you that space to have a drive, to have a lust, to have a desire, to see that There's no such concepts. It's outside of the domain, the realm, the capabilities of a robot. That's question number one. How did he come to this? Which in turn gets coupled with the question of how you're giving him or why you're giving him a sivui, which Haram Ban says is specifically because he has a higher level intellect. And then secondly, Haram Ban points to a pasuk in his Mishneh Torah after eating from the tree, at which point the designation, the pointing to human beings and say, oh, look how special they are, is then to say that they have bechira hafshit. Oh, what do you mean they have bechira hafshit then? They must have had it beforehand. Now, these questions are not only born out of the commentaries of Hanambam. I've noticed they're born out of the commentary of someone who thought very differently than him on many issues, and that's Ramban Nahmani. In Perusha Ramban, in the Torah, in source number six, in Perik Bet, Pasuk Tet, he makes the following bold statement. Listen to the words, let's try to understand them. Vahayatha be'enai, that which seems right in my eyes. Ki ha'adam the natural way of human beings was, he would do, that which was supposed to be done based on the happenings, based on existence. The same way the moon and the sun and the stars and all the constellations have a certain movement, which is a programmed movement. 
It's not to say there's no chaos, but it's to say that in the most simple sense, when you look at the galaxies and you imagine the day in, day out, rotation, gravitational pull, and so on and so forth, that's just programmed. Uh, there's not a, a decision about whether the sun wants to wake up in the morning. There's no determination about whether the moon will ref- refract, reflect the, the light of the sun at night. As the Pasuk says, they are po'ale'emet. They're they do truth. They don't do that which they desire or choose. And as a result, likens Ramban, Adam Harishon, Ramban Nahmani, There's no love or hatred to the sun and the moon or the stars, nor was there to human beings. It was the fruits or the fruits of eating from this tree which brought forth in human beings hefetz and rason, will and desire. That's his statement. That we should decide whether to do tovora. He actually defines the word as rason, as will, as passion. Uh, that's Ramban's statement here in his commentary to the Torah. But it's got the same question connected to it. Abad Benel asks it upon, on Ramban in source number seven. I, I was reading earlier tonight, earlier this evening, for, in the commentaries on Ramban, in one of the classical commentaries, I think it was Kesef Saruf or something like that, one of the commentaries in the uh, Ramban, Mahkon Yerushalayim, they asked the basic question. I don't understand how you can make this claim, Ramban Nahmani. You're telling me that there was no Bechirah of Sheet, there was no freedom of choice, let's call it no human capabilities, prior to eating from the tree. Then how they eat from the tree? Furthermore, says Abar Benel, and says this uh, other commentary, why and how are they commanded not to eat from the tree? We don't turn to robots or computers and say to them, please don't do this. If they're programmed not to do it, they won't do it. If they're programmed otherwise, they will do it. There's, what, what's, what's with a command? What's with a uh, defying orders? That's the question we're really up against. What I'm saying is, it's not only a question on Harambam's approach. Ramban Nahmani is just as difficult with his bold statement that prior to eating from the tree, there was no Bechirah of Shid. So the angle and the direction is one which we began and discussed last week, and I'd like to return to again over here, just with a little bit of, uh, of, of sourcing in front of us. And the direction, the angle goes as follows. First and foremost, last week what we discussed and we addressed is that the world was, uh, to a large extent, programmed to allow for process. And we said that from many of the Midrashim and even from the Pesukim, which means to say process, by definition, is not a godly trait. It's a godly trait that we imagine, that we have that facade which meets our eyes in this world. This is a world which is progressing and has some sort of process attached to it. But in a god essence state, there's no such thing as process. It is or it isn't. And there's no such thing as it's becoming. That's what we say with regards to human beings. That's what we say with regards to a world as we know it. As we mentioned, the well-known Midrash, very appropriate for this, is that the trees were told by God that your bark and fruit should both taste good. And why should they both taste good? Why should they both be pleasant? Because the bark, which is the process to bringing forth the fruit, should be the same as the outcome, the fruit themselves, That's one and the same. There's no room for process. There is no process. That's a God 
divine vision and divine reality where there's only outcome. It just is. It's what others might refer to as deem. There's no flexibility. There's no fluidity. There's no room for progress. There's, if you want to use another word, which is very appropriate, there's no tishubah. Tishubah, by definition, is the opening for space, for room, for time to develop. There's no such thing. The tree in the Gan, in fact, as we read in the Pesukim last week, as some point out, that Havasi, she sees Kitob Ha'etz Lema'achal, the tree itself was good tasting. That's because it's in Gan Eden. But the Midrash says that the trees as we know them are not that way. What are the trees as we know them? The bark doesn't taste good, the fruit tastes good, because in the real world, in the world that we live in, outside of that Gan, there's very much a process which is in place. The description of that Midrash, of each of those references that we made last week, is one in which if we're going to understand life as human beings, there necessarily must be process. If there isn't process, if there isn't space and time to develop, then there's no role for us as human beings in this. There's only godliness. By definition, you and I could not exist in a world of absolute deen because there's nothing for us to dev- nothing for us to do, nothing for us to achieve, no completeness to bring forth because it's all there, laid out in front of us. That's what many of these midrashim kind of bring us to. It's a Gemara Masechet Pesachim, which describes. Enigmatically, mysteriously, that Tishubah was created before the world. One of seven things, if I'm not mistaken, created before, maybe on Dafnun Dalit, created before existence. That's ridiculous. Are you describing and believing that we're going to sin? You took away our freedom of choice. Not so much. Tishubah, as Rav Cook writes it in his Orota Tishubah, defines existence. Existence as we know it is a world of Teshubah. We are constantly developing, moving things further. You could not live in a world which doesn't have Teshubah and be a human being. By definition, the existence of human beings means the existence of anything, even if it's a facade in some respect, because we'll get caught in a bind. If it's all godliness, so how is there this room? That's what the Mekubalim referred to as tzimtzum. Somehow he takes himself out of it in order to make room. He confines himself in order to make room. Again, a hard concept to wrap our head around, but as human beings, we definitely can relate to the fact that we could not and would not be operating. We would have no point of existence. We wouldn't be alive if there was no process. Therefore, even Adam and Hava, who were human beings, as the Torah described to us, was the Pasuk used. We were missing just a bit of godliness, but we weren't God and we weren't angels. So we were almost there, but each one of the Midrashim then described how we were eating something made by the angels, but still eating something. There was still a flesh that was on our bodies. There was still in some Midrashim some sort of skin-like reality, which is almost almost clothing-like prior to the eating. It may have been very thin. It may have been a very thin membrane, but it was still there. Uh, that in mind, I read to you a few more sources along this line. I mix 
purposefully, because I think that over here there's no contradiction, mystical sources from the Mikubalim, Rabbi Chaim Vital Marhu in source number eight, and Nefesh Chaim Bihaim Avalajan in source number nine, and then lastly, Rav Daslo in his Mikhtav Me'eliyahu, with our conversation about Harambam, who was far from that sort of mystical thought, because the concept and the direction is the same. Says Marhu in here in his Sha'arei Kedushan, source number eight. Marhu, of course, is the great student of Arizal, one of the greatest Kabbalists that we know. Um, uh, if Musa was here, he'd tell us about how he was buried in Damascus, but he has a real legacy. What's that? There you go. So you knew his uh, Musa has told me many times. Anytime I mention him, he makes me mention that. So here it is. Anyways, a da. It should say, he says, after eating from the tree, there was a hibur. Again, the word da'at and tovara is about some sort of connectedness. There became a connection. Now, he's not distinguishing between emet and shek and tov and ra. He is describing, however, guf, and nefesh, he's describing body, coarse, physical reality, and intellectual, spiritual side, nefesh. He says they became combined after eating. Not fully explaining himself. We brought forth a mixture which in turn means everything has a mix. Those are the mysterious words. The words are eating from the tree brought forth mixture. Again, it's not distinction in Harambam's words. It's differently, different words we're using over here, different words in our repertoire. Instead of referring to emet and sheker and tov and ra, it refers to a separate world and then a combined world. The same words are found in Nefesh Hayim a little bit more elaborately. Veha'inyan, it's in Sha'ar Aleph and Perik Vav. In the uh, note there, in his Haggaha, Ki kodem ha'het im ki vaday shaya ba'al bechira gamur lehatot atzmo lechol ha'sheyachpot. So he's bringing us a bit forward in our quest for was there bechira hafshit, freedom of choice. Absolutely, freedom of choice beforehand. Lehativ o lehepech hasve shalom to decide to do right or to do right. Ki ze tachlit kavanat klal ha'beriah. After all, that's the purpose of creation. You can't say we were created and not have a uh, freedom of choice, then what was the purpose of creation? It says, Furthermore, as we questioned earlier, how could he have sinned if he didn't have freedom of choice? Says and he's again, he's basing himself on Marhu. He says, It's not that we had. The drive, Harambam would say, to Tovara, they would say, to Ra, as part of themselves. Kihu haya adam yashar legamre, kalul rak misidre kohota kedusha, levad. Human beings existed as separate from the drive to Tovara, separate from that ta'arovet, which was born afterwards. They are the key words. Says Nefesh Ha'ayim, he goes on to describe it as a nahash, 
Nachas was separate from human beings. Now, what's the idea? The idea goes as follows. He says there was human beings who had, as part of essence, as part of existence, a drive. There had to be, otherwise there was no freedom of choice. But if, and here's the best way to describe it, if human beings had a knee-jerk, easy decision to be made, it would be the decision, in the words of Harambam, emet and sheker. It would be the decision of emet. It would take a lot of overcoming, an external drive, some sort of force outside of their nature to bring them to Tovara. It's not that they didn't have, just one second, a understanding of Tovara. We had bodies. Bodies, by definition, have senses. That wasn't absent to human beings at the onset. What was absent was a ta'arovet, a mixture. We stood as emet and sheker entities. Separate from us, quote-unquote, a nahash, call it a yetzer hara, call it a satan, as Harambam will later on, uh, each of those as a description of the nahash, separate. It means when I turn to you and I say, tell me about that guy, what type of person is he? So you say to me, and this is just a mashal, say he's a really good person, I say to you, but I heard that he did this. So you say, yeah, but that was in a bad moment, a, a judgment lapse time. I said, but I heard five years ago he did this as well. I go, come on, Rabbi, you're not really listening to me. I'm telling you who he truly is. I know him. I know who he truly is. I could tell you based on the decision he makes day in, day out, without even thinking. I have great stories about it. You're saying that he's been driven in that moment? Do you know the circumstances? Do you know where he was in life at that time? Do you know who he was surrounding himself at that time? Those are all external causes to drive him in that direction. The description then of Adam Harishon, of humanity in the world of Tovara, as Harambam would have it, is in order to have a Tovara existence, in order to get to subjective thinking, there had to be something external that drove them, but that's not who they truly were. The decision to eat was the decision to become more human than robotic, more human than angelic. That's what we're describing throughout. It's not that there wasn't a behira hovshit. It's that if we scale the freedom of choice, the freedom of choice was diminished when they were in the gun. Why was it diminished? Because they were driven to do what was true. And as a result, if I know what's true, why would I want to? Again, the example I gave last week. If I know it's true and the right thing to eat healthy, and that is who I am, it takes a lot to get me to eat unhealthy and to go after my sexual drive and so forth. Even because after all, I am programmed to think emet and check. It's not that I don't appreciate and don't understand what that is, but uh, as we spoke earlier, it would take a lot, Joe, in order to get you to eat breakfast. But I could say to you, but you love eating breakfast. You can understand, you can, that's a perspective you can relate to, but you are programmed right now not to need that breakfast. And Miro, you're able to say that that my life is one in which intermittent fasting is a reality for me, and that is true if it is so. You know, in other words, but uh, I can't tempt you, I can't bring you to that, and you might even want to, because you might at a certain point say to yourself, I'm not driven 
by my own choices any longer. I, I just, I, I want to be able to show that I can make my own decisions. The decision then of Adam and Hava was a purposeful decision. The decision was one in which they wanted more process, more challenges, more of a world in which they had to overcome and achieve independent of just having that as part of their essence, the right, the, the emet and sheker. So the decision then, let's read it in the words of Rav Dessler, Again, this is bringing us back both to Ramban, Nahmani, and to Harambam. It describes in each of them as having a diminished Bechirahovshit. Not that they didn't have the ability to choose, it's that their ability to choose was much lower because their essence was emet and shaken. The way Rav Dassler goes about this in his Mikhtav Me'eliyahu is, he says, look at the way we talk today about things that we want or desire. We talk about it in the first person. I want, I need, I desire that. He says, beforehand, you would have said something along the lines of, Ata. Uh, and today we talk about, and he's, he's saying in third person, the truths, you should or you shouldn't. He says the difference between before and after is what was the I? What was the way I defined myself? The after is I define myself by what I want. The before was I define myself by what is true to me, what is false to me. That was true and false. The objective made who I was. It didn't negate the reality of subjective. After all, there were human beings. I bring you back again to the question of, so then why would we eat from the tree? How could they, in a world, in, in, if you say, today, I understand why people sin. It's we now live in this world of ta'arovit. We now live in a world of mixture. We're no longer entities which are just driven solely by emet and shikh. And as a result, it makes sense. That's what God exclaims in the Torah. He understands that we're now in a dangerous, perilous world of tovara. That's the moment Harambam picks up on. The description of our absolute behira, our highest level behira, again is when we eat. Before eating, there wasn't as much behira. Once we ate, Harambam purposefully in points to that pasuk because that's what we wanted as human beings. That's what we should want. We want that challenge. We want to be able to overcome it and to achieve and become complete beings in a world where we're not just inborn with that emet and sheker. The description then of Harambam very carefully in this Perek is not one in which we were programmed in a way that we could not perceive of Tovenra. It existed. There was color. It was just in the crayon box or in the marker box, separate from the page which we were living on. It wasn't that we couldn't get up and go and bring it over. It's just that we weren't interested in it. The, uh, the human tendency and the human reality to live in a world in which we have that process to develop a tissue by existence was one which they decided to go for to jump out of that emet and ra existence and into one of to, emet and shek existence and into one of tov and ra. The description then in a sentence or two is, goes as follows. It, there was from the beginning of human life, the freedom of choice. 
the freedom of choice, however, with regards to how much was actually open to choice was diminished. Even today, you could not and should not argue that we have an absolute freedom of choice. We don't. There are certain truths that you and I know, and that's why some people in a demented state of being will tell you I'm most free as I'm committing suicide. Um, Ironically, there's a lot of truth in that statement. That I won't commit suicide, I'm telling you very clearly, because that's out of my freedom of choice. I don't want, I know it's the wrong thing to do. I'm convinced that that's Shakir. As a result, I won't do it, but don't, that's, that's, that's not a challenge for me. That to overcome that challenge would be to jump off a bridge. I'm not telling you we want to do that. I am telling you I don't have 100% freedom of choice because there are many things that I know are clear black and white realities that I won't step out of. Those black and white realities, whereas for me might be 5% of my life, maybe a little bit more than that, for them was 98%, 99% of their lives. That didn't negate the fact that they were human beings and there was a 1% ability to choose outside of Emet and Sheker, which they jumped into. That's what they wanted. That's what we as human beings, again, strive for. That's why some people in a demented state of being, but they're not as crazy as you imagine them to be. Uh, They're actually just going too far in their strivings to be human beings. They want to be human beings, so they need to prove that they'll bleed because they are human beings and they'll make themselves bleed. They'll take their life because they're showing I can choose if that's the reason they're doing so. It's not because of some sort of state of depression or, 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 or otherwise mental uh, incapacity. It's in order to feel. It's in order to feel. It's in order to feel, right. So it's one and the same. Yes, go ahead. It's also a challenge, especially for your teachers, so it's a challenge in their life. What do you do with our kids? Do you lock them up? And not just let them see only good around them? They have a choice, but let them get used to the good? Or do we... For sure, but I'll tell you, we as you, we as parents, if I understand correctly, what we do, if I get, if I get this parenting thing, which I'm not sure any of us do, it's that we grow our children in very much a similar way to the beginning of existence of human beings. We begin our children in somewhat of an insulated world. They grow up in our home, and we provide for them, and we make most of their decisions for them. At a certain juncture and we're almost proud of it as they do so, they rebel, they break out of it. They do something which objectively speaking is silly, but at the same time we're kind of smirking, we're kind of somewhere deep down proud of them for doing so because they had the ability to jump out of it. You really did that? You really stayed out past curfew and did something so stupid? While at the back of your mind, like, wow, they just stepped out of my home and made a decision on their own. It will take time for them now to patch up what they did wrong, to find their way back to hopefully what we envision, if we've gotten this right, to the world of emet and shaker, if we actually have it, or as much as we have it that we've set forth for them in the home. But that's very much the description of creation of human beings, which I, by the way, I'm happy you brought that up, Miro, which gives a lot of perspective then for us, because the perspective then is, uh, all right, I got the whole story now, but I'm back to square one. Why would God create it in such a way? If we need to, as human beings, be outside of it, so then why create us in it? And the answer, as much as we grow our children beginning in it, so they have an understanding of it, that perspective of origin, of where you came from, of what you're headed toward, even though you needed to necessarily break out of it, 
is the description of human beings in this world. So it means there needs to be, and again, I bring you back to that pasuk which we began and we'll end with. The description is we need to send away Adam and Hava from this gun because and now Maybe he'll outstretch his hand and take from this tree. The issue is not that he'll eat from etzadat. The issue is that it'll defy process. He'll outstretch his hand, grab from the fruit, and eat. Instead, let's protect this. Let's make a derech etzahayim. Let's make a passageway, a pathway, a process of life through which we as human beings will need to pass in order to arrive at truth. If it was just truth at the onset, if we just lived in the home of our parents who may be providing a metin shekeh, we're not achieving anything independently. We're not maximizing our potential. We're not changing ourselves or anything around ourselves. However, if there's no gateway back to what we were raised and reared upon, so then there's no purpose of existence. Then it's just this chaotic world we're thrust into. It's that the Hayim remains but the Etzahayim is no longer within arm's reach, which means to say we wield this and we wield it somewhat appropriately. We needed to break out, much as our children need to break out of our own homes. We were born into this world of Emet and Sheka, which stymied us, which suppressed our ability to choose freely in a complete sense. Not that there wasn't the main point of this class, not that there wasn't any freedom of choice, just like your children have freedom of choice. Children could decide what to eat from the, from, from the dinner plates. There's, there's uh, dark chicken and there's white chicken, and there's uh, rice and there's uh, broccoli. They can decide, and not force them what to put on their plate. There are certain decisions, smaller decisions. They could decide whether to read a book before they go to sleep or to uh, uh, talk to their friend on the phone. There are certain decisions, much smaller decisions than they'll ultimately have. Human beings had that as well. But the will and passion and desire appropriately so was to break out of that and to born forth for our, birth forth for ourselves a world of much more freedom, not absolute. We will not at any point until it's all said and done appreciate a world of absolute choice. That's just, that that reality is, we're born into a reality, we we, we live in a world where there are certain truths which we cannot get past and will not get past, and so that's that's an area which is black and white for us, but nonetheless, the ability and the passion and the will and the and the desire to live in a world of Bechira is that Pasuk of Henha Adam Hayake Hadmi Menula Da Tovara is Vitem Kelohim Yodere Tovara, which we purposefully chose to be in. What I'd like to address in the next class is those words of Hanambam, which I referenced once or twice, from Chelek Bet, Perek Lamed in the Moreh. Um, it sounds like we're jumping around. We are jumping around, but ironically, over there, he returns to some Midrashim with regards to the Nahash and with regards to Gan Eden. And they're necessary, in my opinion, to read in conjunction with this Perek to get a deeper understanding of, all right, so now that I'm out of the gun, let me understand what happened there again. Let me understand, because that's what we described now, what that path back into it will be. That's what I want to do next. And then I want to return back to, we had this description in the first class of Cain and Hevel versus Shet with regards to Tzelem Elohim or no Tzelem Elohim. So that'll be the, the following class in which we'll kind of go back to that to try to understand that with regards to, so what is that Tzelem Elohim? Why were there some without it and one with it? And what does that really say uh, with regards to you and me? All right. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.